When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Furman, everybody, episode Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Podcast is is on the phone. Friday, February 2nd, I guess it's Groundhog Day, 2024, people. Uh, We're doing what we did last week. We are recording the, the, the Friday show late Thursday night here on the Aaron Torres Pod YouTube channel. So if you're watching on YouTube, we appreciate your support. If you're not watching on YouTube, Make sure to subscribe. Obviously, if you're watching, you can always drop in a question, a comment, or whatever. But we got ourselves a jam-packed Friday show here on the Aaron Torres Pod. We're going to open. There's just one little college football topic that I do want to get to. Jeff Halfley leaving Boston College for the Green Bay Packers. Everybody's freaking out. This is the downfall of college football. I'm not sold it's that big of a deal. From there, do want to get to some interesting talk about the Louisville basketball job. No, it's probably a little bit early to start talking about that, but we know that Kenny Payne will not be back. Thought my buddy Nick Coffey had some interesting comments about that job earlier in the week that I want to react to. Uh, And from there, a a busy college hoops weekend. We're going to preview all the big games, Carolina, Duke, Tennessee, Kentucky, St. John's, UConn, maybe even a little Auburn Ole Miss for producer Matt here, but it's going to be a loaded weekend of college hoops. And finally, we didn't do it last week. We will wrap with Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. Uh, the, the the you know, give my best and worst takes of the week. Before we get started, if you missed any of the shows this week, make sure to go back and download Wednesday. Really fun interview with Bruce Pearl. Thursday, we did a, a, an immediate reaction to the Wednesday night college hoops. So a lot of thoughts on Kentucky's loss to uh, to Florida in overtime. UConn beating Providence, Purdue. With that debacle of a plus 38 free throw discrepancy, a loaded week of shows that we have done. So if you have not caught any of them, if you have not caught up, make sure to go back and download. But with that said, it is Thursday night if you're on YouTube. It is Friday on podcast. There is no more time to waste. We got a lot to talk about. So let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, so I'll say this. Um, I, I do want to get to some college hoops because I think the Louisville conversation is starting to get interesting. It is now February, and I think a group of candidates is starting to emerge for that job. Also busy weekend in college hoops. But before we get to college hoops, do want to hit on one college football story because it popped up. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was a little bit overblown. 
But certainly for a show like this, it is relevant. On Wednesday afternoon, for people who missed it, if you were watching College Hoops, uh, there was an interesting story that popped up as Jeff Halfley, the head coach of Boston College, so the head coach, Boston College ACC, announces that he is leaving as the head coach for the NFL where he is not going to be a head coach. He is going to be the new defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Now, to me, didn't really seem like a huge story, but there were two reasons why it kind of made headlines. One, for people who think that college football is completely out of control, coaches are spread too thin, all of that good stuff, this was confirmation. Coaches are spread thin. They're tired. Too much NIL, too much portal, too much this, too much that. And it was followed up with some comments to Pete Thamel for ESPN that essentially confirmed it. In an article to ESPN, uh, a source close to Halfley said he wants to go coach football again in a league that is all about football. College coaching has become fundraising, NIL, and recruiting your own team and transfers. There's no time to coach football anymore. And so when I saw that headline and I saw those comments, you know, I'll be blunt. Um, I saw a lot of people that I like in my business, in the media business, people that I respect, people that cover college football. They threw up their hands and they said, this is a sign of the apocalypse. And this is proof that all these coaches are spread too thin. None of them want to be here. And we're going to lose all these great coaches to the NFL, to which I say, everybody, let's go ahead and pump some brakes. Okay. So first of all, let me say this. Um, do I agree that it is not a good sign that a sitting head coach is leaving to take a coordinator job in the NFL? I'm not going to sit here and argue with you and fight with you and say that it's the best thing that ever happened to college football. But the funny part is, if you've been listening to this show, we have been ahead on this story for years now. I remember talking about this in the winter of 2021. Three years ago, I vividly remember this, Dan Mullen, remember him on ESPN all the time now? He was the head coach at Florida. They were coming off an SEC East title, and he actually went ahead and interviewed with the New York Jets, or there was rumors that he was linked to the Jets, whatever. People said, why would you leave Florida? It's a great job for a bad NFL job. And I said, it's because Dan Mullen can see what is on the horizon. He can see the portal coming. He can see NIL coming. And it is not a world that I believe he wants to be a part of. Now, it turns out he's not a part of it because he's not very good as a head coach, or at least he wasn't at the end in Florida. But for people who believe that college football coaches are spread too thin, this is not a good sign, but it's something that we've been talking about. And by the way, for people who don't really understand why a guy like Jeff Halfley would be interested in leaving for the NFL and the comments that were made, remember, it's no longer just about coaching football in the college level. You have the season. Then you have the transfer portal. Then you have the high school recruiting. Then you have more portal. Then you have spring ball. Then you have summer camps. It never ends. You're constantly re-recruiting your players. And so I do think for the people in my business that said, this is a bad sign and there's more to come. Well, I'm here to tell you, they're not really wrong. At the same time though, like, like it is a little bit overblown because like, let's look at Jeff Halfley specifically, right? It's easy for a guy who's the head coach at Boston College to say, oh, well, I'm going back to the NFL because it's about coaching and it's about this and it's about that. And I'm tired of college football. Well, you know why he's tired of college football? Because he ain't winning very much. Okay. Listen, bottom line is Boston College, in my opinion, might be the worst power five job in major college football. Okay. I grew up in the Northeast. I've actually been to games at Boston College. 
I went to a few games when Matt Ryan was there. The place was hopping, okay? But that was a long time ago. The sport has changed. Boston College is a really hard place to win. It's a small Catholic school in a professional sports city, and they don't have very good NIL funding. I don't want to get into too many details, but I kind of know their NIL setup, and I'm here to tell you it was amongst the worst in power conference football, okay? My understanding is they had enough money to, to take care of about five or six players, and then everybody else was fighting over peanuts. And so with Jeff Halfley, I look at the situation and I say, is this really a sign that college football is completely falling apart? Or is this actually just a sign that he had a bad job? In his four full years at Boston College, he was 22 and 26, was probably on the hot seat going into next year, even though he ended up uh, making a bowl game this year. Shout out Fenway Bowl. I'm sure you remember the big Boston College SMU matchup in that one. But I just bring it up because I saw all these people freaking out. Oh, everybody's leaving. This really isn't that big of a deal, okay? At the end of the day, Boston College, really bad job. Was probably entering next year on the hot seat anyway. Had a chance to go to the NFL where, let's be honest, a coordinator makes about as much as a, a, a middle-tier college football coach. Now, if he was making nine a year, if he was at Alabama or, or Ohio State, that's a little bit of a different story. I don't know his contract details because he worked at a private school, but he's probably making three, three and a half, four million a year living in a city. Now he's going to Green Bay where it's a, probably a lot cheaper to live. He's probably going to make two, two and a half, three million as a coordinator and his quality of life is better. Listen, there will be a time to panic about college football, but this ain't it. I'll say this. If Ryan Day left Ohio State to be the head coach or to, to be the quarterback's coach of the New England Patriots, if Dan Lanning left to be the defensive line coach of the Atlanta Falcons, if Kalen DeBoer left to be the offensive coordinator of the Houston Texans, then yeah, I'd say it's time to freak out. But I don't think he took too much of a pay cut. He was probably entering the hot seat next year. And for everybody freaking out, it's going to be okay. By the way, here's the other part. And this is something, as somebody who has covered college sports for a long time, stuff ends up figuring itself out. And so, yes, he's going to leave. But guess what? There's going to be somebody else that wants to be paid three, three and a half, four million a year to coach in the ACC. Boston College is going to get somebody good, and the show is going to go on. I remember everybody freaking out when Coach K retired, when Jay Wright retired, when Nick Saban retired, when Jim Harbaugh went to the NFL. Well, guess what? As long as these jobs pay four, five, six, seven million dollars a year, somebody will want them. And I don't really think this is the sign of an apocalypse. Thought this was at least worth addressing off the top of the show before we do get to uh, some college basketball. So, with that said, let's go ahead and switch gears and let's get to college basketball because, listen, it's February 1st, which means that it's really about that time where we can start really kind of locking in on college hoops it's a fun time of year. Anybody who listens to this show knows I love college hoops. I, I, I love the sport. It's it's you know it's a great sport. It's obviously not a 365-day-a-year sport, but I bring it up because this is the time where we can really lock in. And obviously, we're going to preview a busy weekend of college hoops here momentarily. But before we get to it, I thought there was a very interesting thing that popped up on my social media timeline here on whatever it was, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning for my old buddy, Nick Coffey. Okay. So for people who don't know who Nick Coffey is, Nick Coffey, actually, if you're a longtime listener to this show, he was basically my co-host when we started this show back in 2019. 
He's a great radio host in Louisville. Um, you know, he now hosts afternoon drive three to six, I think is his time slot does pre and post game for the Louisville Cardinals. And why I bring it up was because Nick put out a tweet about the Louisville coaching job. And so as a general rule, listen, you know how I operate. I don't love to talk about jobs and open or, or, or jobs and opportunities where the guy hasn't been fired yet. But when you look at Louisville, it is pretty obvious that Kenny Payne is not going to be there for the long term. He is not going to be the answer. Um, and I don't really see the scenario where he gets another uh, year at Louisville. I mean, I, I went on Nick's show last week, and Nick basically acknowledged like there is basically zero scenario where he gets another opportunity. Louisville's currently six and fifteen overall in year two under Kenny Payne, one and nine in the ACC. They're in last place. They're on a six-game losing streak entering the weekend. And so is it maybe a little unfair to start talking about the Louisville head coaching job? Maybe, but I also don't really think it is. Kenny Payne is not going to be the head coach, and so I want to look ahead, and I want to start with a tweet that Nick sent out on Wednesday afternoon. It said simply, should Chris Beard be the number one candidate for the Louisville head coaching job. Well, we'll get to that in a second, but what I will say is, first of all, if you're a Louisville fan, it's been a couple bad years, okay? We all get that. I understand it, et cetera, et cetera. What I would also say, as we get set for this job to open, I think this job is going to attract a better quality of candidate than it did last time around. Last time around, if you remember, Chris Mack gets fired. It's a weird deal. Middle of the year, you start vetting candidates. Bruce Pearl gets an extension. Um, you know, Nate Oates isn't really available. And you start to realize there really aren't a lot of great candidates. This year, I think there are going to be a lot of great candidates. And on top of that, I think it's also worth noting, Louisville, of course, is done with their NCA sanctions. They, they had been under investigation. That was when Kenny Payne took the job. And so because of it, like we are probably in a scenario where Louisville not only opens, but I think the quality of candidate is better. Now, in terms of who are legitimate and candidates and who are not, let me start by saying this. What Nick tweeted out is what I believe. I believe that Chris Beer, if he's available and if he wants the job, is absolutely positively the guy that Louisville should get. But I also acknowledge there's probably, you know, there, there's some stuff going on there that would make him, you know, a little bit tough to hire. First of all, from the Chris Beard perspective, it, it starts with me for this, is that when I think about any head coaching job, what I think about is, is you could talk about age, this, that, the other thing. Who is the guy? I'm sure in, in female sports, women's basketball, softball, et cetera. Who is the guy or girl that you can hire that is going to strike the most fear in your rivals? Because to me, that should be the only question you ask. Because no, no candidate is perfect. No candidate is a thousand percent going to work. But if the guy that you can hire is the guy that your rivals will fear the most, chances are pretty good he is going to do everything that you hope for. So I put that out on Twitter on Wednesday. I said, you should Chris Beard should be the guy. Because Chris Beard ultimately is the guy that I think would scare the rest of the ACC the most and scare Kentucky the most. And I had a couple of Louisville fans say, no, no, no. It should be about who can take us on the deepest tournament runs, who can do this, who can do that. And it's like, well, that's kind of the same thing. If he's good enough to scare Kentucky fans, if he's good enough to scare Duke and Carolina fans, he's good enough to get you to Sweet 16s, Elite 8s, and Final Fours. And so to me, Chris Beard is the number one choice, and it's obvious. 
18 and three right now at Ole Miss. Okay, Ole Miss is arguably, I know I just said Boston College is the toughest power conference job in football. In basketball, Ole Miss is in the short conversation. He has them 18 and three. They just beat rival Mississippi State at home. They won at Texas A&M. And that's the thing about Chris Beard. After a couple years of disappointment for Louisville, guess what? He is a guy that can come in, win, and win right away for the Louisville Cardinals. Keep in mind, everywhere that guy has gone, let's just talk about the D1 level. He has been insane and won in an insane clip, okay? Uh, go back to his first uh, Division One head coaching job. Goes to Little Rock. In year one, goes to the NCAA tournament, beats Purdue in the round uh, in the first round of the tournament. By the way, not going to not gonna have any strays with Purdue today, but, you know, listen, they got a little bit of a history, okay? Then he goes to Texas Tech. Year two at Texas Tech takes them to their first ever Elite Eight. Year three has them playing for a national championship. Oh, by the way, that national championship game went to overtime. They easily could have won. Like, I don't think people understand how, how, how feasible it is that Texas Tech could have a national championship in men's basketball in the last five years thanks to Chris Beard. Obviously goes to Texas from there. And I think it's easy to forget because of how the way things ended. You understand Chris Beard had Texas number one in the country last year. You understand that Chris Beard left a roster for Rodney Terry that made the Elite Eight and was leading an Elite Eight game comfortably at halftime before they completely fell apart. So Chris Beard, everywhere he goes, he wins and he wins right away. And he is going to scare the you-know-what out of your biggest rivals. Now, obviously, the concern on the opposite side would be, frankly, is he hireable? First of all, the contract is a little confusing. Ole Miss is a public school, but they do this weird thing where they do all of their coaches' contracts through the school's foundation, so they're not technically state employees, so you can't actually get access to their contracts. Remember, Lane Kiffin a few years ago signed a big extension at, at, at uh, Ole Miss as the head coach. And the state law prohibited anyone from signing, I think it was more than a four or five year contract. They do the contract through the foundation. He gets eight years and $80 million or whatever his contract was. Well, I've had people look into the Chris Beard contract. People I know, people I trust. They say it's not for public record. So there's a possibility that Chris Beard, you can't, he can't even get out of his contract this year, even if he wants to go to Louisville. Now, I figure there must be a way, but we don't know what the buyout is. The other thing, of course, is, is obviously how he left Texas. And you don't need me to reiterate or retell you how it happened, but it obviously, it was not pretty, right? Situation, he's arrested. Uh, he's charged with some pretty serious crimes. Now, obviously, those charges were eventually dropped, and we don't need to litigate what he did and did not do. We talked about it on the show at the time, and I really thought there was a chance he never coached major college basketball again. A year later, he's in the SEC at Ole Miss. And I will say, I know for a fact there, there, there's people in that Louisville community that just will not support the idea of Chris Beard being the next head coach at Louisville. Not saying it's everybody, but I know there are major media members that will very publicly fight against it. Uh, and it is worth noting, by the way, I Googled Chris Beard to get ready for this show. The first article was from a Louisville blog that basically said, do not hire Chris Beard Louisville. So that's candidate number one. And that's the guy that I would go after. Candidate number two is an interesting one. To say the least, uh, it is, let's talk a little bit about Eric Musselman in Arkansas. Everybody knows Torres, you know, I've had Eric Musselman on the show a million times. Uh, I like Coach Muss. I have not talked to him about any other opportunities at any other schools, nor would I. Uh, that's just not really my lane. Uh, but there's a lot of smoke that he isn't going to be back at Arkansas next year. And it's not just behind the scenes, quiet smoke. 
Like literally their media in Arkansas is publicly talking about a day where Eric Musselman is not the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. Not saying it's right, not saying it's wrong, but I went on my buddy John Neighbors' show last week and he publicly said, he said, if Arkansas, if, if Eric Musselman is not back at Arkansas next year, who would be a candidate for our job? So I'm not saying Muss is going to leave for Louisville, but there are a lot of whispers that he is interested in looking at other options. And listen, Louisville is a very good job. The ACC right now is not as tough as the SEC is. He could go there like Chris Beard and win right away. He would go in much less baggage. And the thing about Coach Muss, that guy wins at the same level as Chris Beard does. He comes in, he wins, and he wins quick. Just think about the last couple of years for Coach Muss. And I know things aren't going well at Arkansas right now. I get that. But 2018 at Nevada, at freaking Nevada, had them in the Sweet 16. 2019 at Nevada, had them in the top 10. For most of the year, they end up losing in the NCAA tournament. By the way, they got an at-large bid at Nevada. Two very successful, really three very successful seasons there. Goes to Arkansas. Year one is the COVID year. A lot of injuries. They still almost make the tournament, had there been a tournament. 2021 makes an Elite Eight. 2022 makes an Elite Eight. 2023 makes a Sweet 16. And it is worth noting, in two of those years, they lost to the eventual champion, Baylor in 21, UConn in 23, and so I just bring it up because it's like we could be talking about Arkansas with multiple Final Four appearances. Maybe, you know, I don't want to go down the national championship road, but but like they lost to the best teams in the country in the years that they lost. And so I don't know if he wants to leave, but obviously if, if he is interested, I think it's somebody that Louisville has to go after. Now, I was talking to Nick Coffey. I went on his show. He did say that I think there's a lot of the fan base that is looking at the Arkansas record this year and starting to get concerned. So I don't know. I don't know if he's really interested in leaving, and I don't really know how interested Louisville fans should be. But in my opinion, if you have a chance to get Eric Musselman, you go ahead and get him. Last real big name that I do think is atta attainable, excuse me, is Jerome Tang at Kansas State. Jerome Tang, for people who don't know, obviously, look, longtime Baylor assistant, goes to Kansas State last year, and in year one, was awesome. Year one, they made the Elite Eight. They lost to Florida Atlantic. They win that game. They go to a Final Four in year one for Jerome Tang. Now, he's taking a little bit of a step back this year, but this is a guy that can win and win right away. Smart in the portal. Remember, two years ago, he brought in Keontae Johnson. This year, Arthur Kaluma, et cetera, et cetera. And the buzz in the college basketball world is that there really is a chance that he wants to leave, and that really is some friction in, what he, in what's going on there at, um, at Kansas State. My understanding, if you remember earlier this year, one of their starters off last year's Elite Eight team, uh, Naquan Tomlin, he got into a bar fight. The school suspends him, and the school ends up not letting him come back. Matter of fact, he transferred to Memphis, is eligible right away, plays right away, and my understanding is Jerome Tang was not happy with that. And so I only bring it up because there is apparently friction between him and his administration, um, and I've been told that you know, the right opportunity comes up, he would be willing to leave. So he is a name that I would keep an eye on as well. A couple names that, you know, listen, I don't think Mick Cronin is really a candidate. Double check that buyout. Mick Cronin from UCLA, Big Mick Energy. Mick Cronin's buyout before March 31st of this year, 2024, is $20 million. Even after March 1st. So you wait until April, which you probably don't want to if you're Louisville because you're probably going to fire Kenny Payne in mid-March right after the ACC tournament. Um, 
buyout then is $16 million. So it's just, it's a lot of money to spend in the portal NIL era. 16 million feels like a lot to spend for a head basketball coach just to get him to campus. Don't really think that Mick Cronin is really a candidate. And then from there, there's obviously a lot of second tier candidates. Indiana State's head coach, Josh Schertz is really good. There's some other smaller guys, but if you're Louisville, you got three candidates that are really good that I believe would take the job. And I'll just say this. I am curious to see it all unfold. Thought Nick did an interesting job setting it up because it is here. College basketball season felt like a good time to at least discuss this really quickly. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and preview a busy weekend in college hoops. Uh, really fun weekend. So listen, I'll, I'll give college hoops credit. Okay. Uh, I obviously work sports radio, you know, the competitors, the four layer network, but between Fox with UConn Johns between the big 10 unintentionally having a top 10 matchup with Wisconsin and Purdue. I don't think anybody thought that was a legitimate top 10 matchup. And then, Oh, by the way, uh, ESPN with a hell of a triple header on Saturday, Houston at Kansas, Duke at Carolina, Kentucky hosting Tennessee back to back to back. That's a heck of a weekend in college basketball. So let's go ahead and dive in. Obviously we're recording late Thursday. There are no point spreads for these games. Let me go ahead and give you some quick thoughts. Obviously we got to start with Duke Carolina. Uh, it is obviously look, some say it's the best rivalry. It's certainly one of the top two. I think what's interesting about this game this year is that there's like, like I know it's cliche. Oh, there's always so much at stake. No, no, no. Like this year, there's actually a lot at stake. These two teams appear to be by far the two best teams in this conference. By the way, for people who say, oh, Torres, you're a homer. Picked Duke to win the national championship, Carolina to make the final four. So I kind of have a little bit riding on this one too. Um, But what becomes interesting is these are clearly the two best teams in the league. That obviously hasn't always been the case. And frankly, first place is on the line in this game. Because Carolina lost on Tuesday night at Georgia Tech, they now sit at 9-1 and in league play. Duke is 7-2. and And so if Carolina loses this game at home to Duke, guess what? They're tied in the loss column in the ACC. Obviously, the winner would have the number one seed in the ACC tournament, blah, 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 blah. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but these are clearly the two best teams in the league, and there is obviously quite a bit at stake. In terms of this game, obviously, look, I'll be curious how Carolina bounces back from that loss. Um, I am not of the belief that it's like the biggest be all end all, uh, you know, worst, you know, worst scenario in the world. We talked about it on Wednesday's show, uh, just from the perspective of like, okay, what really matters and what doesn't as far as that Carolina loss is concerned. Um, yeah, I'm just not really that worried about the Carolina loss. You don't want to lose a second straight here for obvious reasons. Um, but from the Duke perspective, like one thing about Duke, I don't think enough people are talking about, they're actually playing really good basketball right now. So Duke right now, I don't know how many people realize this. They've won 11 of their last 12 games. Now, part of that may be that Duke kind of, or the ACC kind of sort of stinks. Their only loss was that game where Pitt beat them at Cameron indoor Blake Hinson jumped on the table, but they were without two starters in that game. And so I bring it up because I think Duke is actually playing really good basketball right now. They quietly had a really nice win on Big Monday uh, at um, at Virginia Tech. So they get the win there. And the big thing with them, those guards are playing really, really, really well. Tyrese Proctor, five straight games. He's the sophomore from Australia, projected lottery pick in the preseason. Five straight games with double figures. Jeremy Roach, 16 points in the last outing. 
And I'll just say this from the Duke perspective. I, I think Duke wins this game. And I've been pro-Carolina all season long. Carolina obviously is a very, very, very good defensive team. But I I, I kind of just don't – I feel like they haven't been playing their best basketball for about two, three, four games in a row now. Kind of been able to pull away from people late. And I think Duke is quietly actually playing really good basketball. So I will take Duke to win that game even on the road. Uh, let's keep it going. Kentucky against Tennessee. And you talk about a game that has picked up significant importance over the last 36 to 48 hours as I record here. Both these teams, Tennessee is coming off a loss at to, to South Carolina at home. Kentucky is coming off of a loss to Florida at home. And Kentucky currently sits at 15-5, and 5-3 five, five and three overall. They lose this game. And if Bama wins this weekend, they're now three games off the pace in SEC play. Obviously, if Tennessee loses this, they are in a three-way tie in the second spot. So neither team really wants to lose this game. And so when I look at this game, what stands out to me, it's really important for both teams. I would argue it is much more important for Kentucky. Now, Tennessee, you don't want to lose a second straight. I get it. But Tennessee, you look at them. Listen, the South Carolina game was weird. South Carolina makes you play their style of play. If Tennessee were to lose this game, I don't know that I'd be all that worried. But if Kentucky loses this game, that is now three losses in their last four games. And obviously that would be on top of that. That would be four losses in their last seven. More importantly, listen, I'm not saying there's some weird stuff going on at Kentucky, but Justin Edwards, DJ Wagner, both missed the game on Wednesday night against Florida. You take the loss. Weird game. They should have followed up three. We all know that. But you look at Kentucky, and, and I'll say this. After that game against uh, against Florida the other night, I saw a lot of people say this, and, and I don't know that I disagree with them. It feels like a lot of the positive vibes coming out of, coming out of the early part of the season are gone for Kentucky. Early part of the season, you're winning games. You're scoring a lot of points. You're fun. All the freshmen are playing well. Now, I get that some guys are hitting a wall. I get that some guys are banged up. But it does feel like the last three games, teams have been able to figure out Kentucky. Two out of the three, they've been able to slow down Kentucky. And Kentucky has not looked right over the last couple games. Starting to worry, one, about the, the, the rotations and all of that. Two, I'm also starting to worry, like, you know, people start, feels like people are starting to turn on Cal again. Like, Cal could do no right coming into the season. Then the team was awesome. Now they're struggling again. I think he is struggling to figure out the rotations. And I get that he basically hasn't had the same roster week in and week out, game in and game out. They haven't had the same, they haven't had everybody available in every game. But it's this weird thing where I get that they haven't had everybody available every game. But even when they do have people available, he can't figure out what he wants to do with everybody. How about Big Z? Big Z played what 16, 17 minutes that first game? It's been gone ever since. I was joking with my buddy. I said, whoever paid for that Big Z billboard in Indianapolis, they, sh they should get their money back because he's still missing. Still MIA. So K Kentucky's brought a few guys back from injury. Uh, they've obviously lost a few to injury. And I'm just going to say, I, I think something doesn't look right. Now, now it's going to be a great crowd at Rupp Arena. I get all that. And I think the big thing with Tennessee, it is pretty clear. If you slow down Dalton Connect, not even stop him. If you can slow him down, though, I don't know that Tennessee has a ton of other guys that can really, really beat you. Don't connect averaging over 20 points per game. Uh, can or, uh, the second leading scorer on that team is averaging like 11, 11 and a half points per game. I believe it's Jonas Adu. So to me, um, 
I think you just got to slow down Dalton Connect, and I think Tennessee is beatable. I'll take Kentucky, but I don't feel good about it. But this truly feels like, to me, a pseudo must-win game for Kentucky. You lose this one. By the way, the schedule doesn't get that much easier. You got at Vandy this week. Then you got Gonzaga at home, Ole Miss at home. Doesn't really get much easier from here for Kentucky. And you lose this game. You're three games off the pace. The, the, the resume, I don't worry as much about like NCAA tournament resume in early February. But you got to start picking up quality wins somewhere. You lose this game and be really bad. So give me Kentucky in a close one. A um, couple other ones that are worth noting. Houston at Kansas. Really fun game. Uh, Kansas is not playing the best basketball right now uh, that they have played in the Bill Self era. They did beat Oklahoma State on, on Tuesday night. But this is a team that's sitting at 5-3, and three, uh, and they have lost basically most of their uh, marquee games, especially on the road in league play, sitting at 5-3. and three. Houston, in year one in the Big 12, sitting at 6-2 and two and atop the league standings. thing that stands out to me about Houston, though, they've played three true road games this year. They're one and two in those games. The only win came a few days ago against Texas in overtime. So they have not been great on the road. Most teams in college basketball haven't this year. From the Kansas side, they're not. Kevin McCullough did not play the other night. I think he's expected to play on Saturday. Feels like a total stay away to me. The only thing I will say, one, Houston is not great in the out of conference or, or on the road, excuse me. Two, I do think it's also worth noting that on top of it from the Houston perspective um, or from the Kansas perspective, Fog Allen is a really, really, really tough place to win. I said it when I went there back in December. I said, I don't know how anybody wins there. It's loud. It's hot. The fans are right on top of you. Assuming Kevin McCuller plays, give me a slight Kansas win. Last game on Saturday, we'll skip the Sunday games. Wisconsin does play Purdue but Wisconsin plays on Thursday night as I'm recording here, so I don't want to get too far into the weeds on that one. Uh, but UConn-St. John's, very interesting game. Sold out MSG. You know there's a little bit of a rivalry there. Rick Petito said this is the last time we're playing UConn at Madison Square Garden. We're going to play them on campus going forward. We're not giving them the home court advantage there. For people who don't know, UConn fans fill up the garden like, it's going to be a great crowd. A lot of St. John's fans, ton of UConn fans. I saw St. John's is uh, honoring their 98-99. I believe it was a Sweet 16 Elite 8 team. That was Ron Artest was on that team. So it'll be a crazy environment for St. John's fans. I do worry a little bit about UConn. UConn did not look great on Wednesday night. That weird game against Providence that ended at like 2 in the morning. That game went on forever, okay? Uh, um, but the other thing with UConn, I think they probably win, but two things stand out about this one. One, they struggle with St. John's early in the year when St. John's played in Hartford. It was right before Christmas. It was a back-and-forth game. UConn easily could have lost that game. But then also on top of that, UConn, like, as great as the story is, and they're awesome. What are they, 18-2 and two right now overall? They've won nine straight games, all in league play. They're obviously the number one team in the country for three straight weeks in the AP poll and the coaches poll. They have not played the toughest part of their schedule yet, though. They still have two games. Uh, they play St. John's this weekend, obviously, on the road. They still have at Creighton, at Providence. Those are both tournament teams. And they still have two games against Marquette, who might be the best team in the league outside of UConn. So I don't know that we've seen UConn in the toughest environments. Go ahead and give me the win here against St. John's because, obviously, it'll be kind of a neutral-ish crowd with a lot of UConn fans. As I said, uh, I do believe that... Uh, 
we'll wait on the we'll wait on that last game, that game that Wisconsin and uh, Purdue game because uh, Wisconsin has not played on Saturday. Really quickly, before we get to Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong, to wrap the week, Producer Matt, is there any questions, any commentary that I should get to before uh, before we get to Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong? Interesting question. Will Wade to Louisville, okay? Let me say this. Will Wade, for people who don't know, 18-2 and two at McNeese State, Will Wade is going to be a major power conference head coach sooner rather than later. By the way, he's a really good coach. I know everybody wants to they focus on what happened with the, uh, you know, oh my goodness, da-da-da-da-da, everybody freaks out, he got caught on a wiretap, whatever. Guess what? It's the new era of college sports, okay? Unless you're Tennessee football, nobody cares about what you're doing in NIL and paying players. So it's a new era. He is a great coach. Players buy into what he's doing. By the way, Winning at McNeese, like he ain't getting five stars in McDonald's All-Americans at McNeese, and he is going to get an opportunity somewhere else at some point in the future. I'll be honest. I've poked around. I don't want to say for sure, but I think if Eric Musselman were to leave Arkansas, I think he'd be a candidate at Arkansas as well. Will Wade will get another major head coaching job sometime in the future, and I think he is going to win and win big there. I don't know if I, he'd be my first choice if I was Louisville, but I'd probably at least kick the tires. Now, Louisville, because of the NCAA stuff, they probably won't touch him, but he is going to be coaching at the high major job. By the way, if Chris Beard were to leave at Louisville, I think Ole Miss should pursue him, uh, but we will see what happens there. But I think he's going to be coaching again at the Power Conference soon. Anything else, anything interesting before we get to Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong? All right, let's wrap the show. With America's Favorite Podcast segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, for people who are new to the show, Yes, I stole this from my buddy Colin Cowherd. We wrap every week with the best and worst takes of the week, the month, the year. And so we do it every week to wrap. Let's get to it. Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. Again, stole from my buddy Colin Cowherd. We do it uh, as a fun way to wrap the week. But more importantly, because if I'm going to take victory laps every time I get things right, I got to take those L's every time I get things wrong. So let's get to it. Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong here on a Friday. Let's get to it where Aaron was right. Well, listen, Jim Harbaugh. Okay. So Jim Harbaugh, not only did I say he was going to the NFL, but I actually said he was going to the NFL a year ago. If you remember two years ago, Jim Harbaugh actually interviewed with head for head coaching jobs in the NFL, the Raiders, the bears, whatever last off season, he kind of sort of flirted, uh, kind of sort of flirted with the bay or with the Panthers and with the Broncos, but pretty early on, it became clear that he was not going to seriously pursue an NFL head coaching job. And I said it was because he knows that he is going to have the best team that he has ever had at Michigan. I said, I expect this to be the last dance, the last rodeo, win or lose, he is going to the NFL. Well, since we last recorded, since we last did Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong, Jim Harbaugh is officially the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, where Aaron was wrong. All right, Chargers fans, I'm going to take the L. When the Chargers job opened and everybody said Jim Harbaugh is going to be the next head coach of the Chargers, I said, look, I am not sold that the Chargers are going to pony up the money necessary to make Jim Harbaugh their next head coach. And I kept saying it. Brandon Staley got paid $4 million a year. Jim Harbaugh has a contract on his desk for $12 million a year at Michigan. And while I believed he was going to the NFL, I said, I just don't know if the Chargers are going to basically triple the head coaching salary that they had just to match 
what Jim Harbaugh is already going to make at Michigan. So I said, I think Harbaugh's back in the NFL. I'm not sold as the Chargers. Are they really going to commit the money that they need to? Well, as we found out this week, uh, yeah, they absolutely did. Harbaugh will make $16 million a year as the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. Good for the Chargers. I live in LA. They needed to make a splash, and I was dead wrong on that. Where Aaron was right. So in the preseason, I remember talking on both this podcast and also Fox Sports Radio. When it was clear that things were probably not going to improve for the New England Patriots and that Bill Belichick, this might be his last year with the Patriots, I asked the question. I said, are we positive that there is a coaching market for Bill Belichick in the NFL? And I remember saying it. I said it on radio with my buddy Arnie Spanier. People say, oh, you're crazy. Torres, you're insane. What do you mean? Six Super Bowl titles. Greatest coach of his era. Somebody's going to hire him. Well, fast forward. Nobody's really hired Bill Belichick, and it's for all of the reasons that I said. He's old. He's stubborn. Without Josh McDaniels, there is no proof that he really can run a functional offense, and he's a terrible GM. And the reports out of Atlanta were that he believed that he should get player personnel control. That was what he wanted, and the Atlanta Falcons were like, we're good. We're going in another direction. So I do think Bill Belichick sits out this year. I actually think he's going to be better in media than people think. If you saw the Army-Navy game, he did college game day that day. He was unbelievable in front of the mic. By the way, hate to brag, I did interview him on Fox Sports Radio one time. If he wants to talk to you, he'll talk. If he doesn't, he won't. But I said, I just don't know uh, if Bill Belichick, if there really will be a market for him. And as it turns out, there wasn't. Where Aaron was wrong. Well, December 25th, 2023. I know that sounds like a weird D-Day reference, but no, it's just Christmas a couple weeks ago. Bring it up because I was watching the Raiders-Chiefs game. Raiders go to Arrowhead, beat the Chiefs. Weird game. If I remember, they didn't complete like a pass in the second half or something like that. And I said, oh, it's over for the Chiefs. It's finally somebody else's time. Somebody else is going to make a run in the AFC. Well, get the Miami Dolphins at home. It was clear the Dolphins wanted nothing to do with that game. Beat the choking Bills. I still believe the Bills should not have brought back Sean McDermott. And then to their credit, they just outplayed the Baltimore Ravens. Now, the Ravens, I thought, had a terrible game. Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator, uh, abandoned the run way too soon. But I just bring it up to say, listen, I got to own it. I thought the Chiefs, this was the year they took a major step back. I thought this was the year either the Bills or certainly the Ravens made the Super Bowl. Yet here we are. Next Friday, we'll obviously preview the Super Bowl. We'll talk about the Super Bowl. But I don't know what else there is to say other than I was dead wrong on the Kansas City Chiefs. where Aaron was right. You know what I was right about though? Purdue basketball and those free throws. Okay. If you listen to this show, you know, I got crushed after Purdue played Alabama in December. Purdue was plus 14 in the free throw discrepancy. And that was a few weeks after they were plus 18, meaning that they took 18 more free throws than Tennessee when they played in the Maui Invitational in November. And I said, I'm not rooting against anybody. I'm not saying Zach Eady is a terrible player. All I am saying is, it is clear that they are refereed unfairly. Purdue fans were furious. I had media members that were furious telling me I didn't know what I was talking about. The, all these beta losers. Oh, Torres doesn't know hoops. No, no, no. I know hoops. And it was proven on Wednesday night when Purdue was plus 38 at the foul line. Plus 38. I've never even heard of that. 
Purdue shot 46 foul shots. Northwestern shot eight. That is so inconceivable. By the way, I, I still had ignorant, dumb Purdue fans trying to argue with me that that was all part of the game plan. No, it was not. Stop. No, it was not part of the game plan. Don't tell me it was part of the game plan, okay? Uh, it, you know, Chris Collins said before the game something about we have 15 fouls to give. That doesn't mean that he thought he was going to be plus 38 in foul shots. And oh, by the way, he got ejected. And then he said after the game, that was the most ridiculous thing I have ever seen. And so I bring it up because I've been telling you for months, Purdue, the refs don't know what to do with them. But here's the bad news, Purdue fans. Get mad at me if you want. But guess what? Guess what's going to happen come NCAA tournament time? It's only going to hurt you. You know why? Because you're not going to have a plus 38 free throw discrepancy. And I can say that with certainty. You know why? Because refs are graded game by game, round by round. And to advance like your favorite team, they have to prove that they are worthy of advancing. And so if any ref is part of any game where the free throw discrepancy is 38 foul shots, they ain't advancing. I think this is only going to hurt Purdue in the short term, in the long term. But hey, got to win on a Wednesday against Northwestern. Congrats on that. Where Aaron was wrong, we just talked about it. I think I oversold Kentucky. And and uh, listen, I, I I we have a, a thing on this show. We don't call for John Calipari's retirement because every time that that we we question Cal, he pulls a rabbit out of his hat and he figures things out. And I do think there's probably a reasonable possibility that he does it on Saturday against Tennessee. But it is clear when I was saying they were one of the three best teams in college basketball, that is obviously not justifiable right now. And I don't think I did a good enough job explaining this when I did the preview. He's got to figure out his rotation, okay? He's currently playing nine guys. The five freshmen plus Big Z plus uh, the two returnees, Onyenso and uh, 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 Antonio Reeves, and then also Trey Mitchell. Nine guys is way too many at this point in the year. He's got to cut down the rotation. He's got to limit some some minutes. Um, I hate to say it. Some guys got to just not be playing as much. Um, but yeah, I said they were one of the top three teams in the country. They're not even one of the top three teams in the SEC right now. They still have the talent to figure it out. Cal generally turns things around this time of year. He better because this team is struggling. Finally, let's get really quickly where Aaron was right. I've been saying for weeks. NIL is flattening the playing field in college hoops, and it was confirmed once again this week. Number two, or, or Tennessee lost at home. Kentucky lost at home. Uh, Carolina lost on the road. There is no denying that this sport, college basketball, and really college football as well, is being flattened by NIL. Everybody has money. Everybody is spending money. Players don't want to sit out. We have that COVID year as well. And we are seeing a flattening of the college college hoop space where a Florida can go to Kentucky and win a road game for the first time in 20 years against a top 10 team where South Carolina can go to Tennessee and get a win where Georgia Tech can have wins over Duke and Carolina already this year. There is no doubt in my mind. Finally, where Aaron was wrong, you know, I still thought the SEC coming into this week was an Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky conversation, maybe Auburn on the outskirts of that. Welcome to the party, South Carolina, man. South Carolina sitting there with, with, with uh, a couple SEC losses, but obviously, most notably, they have some pretty big wins. Head-to-head -head win at Tennessee, head-to-head -head win over Kentucky. I've never talked South Carolina on a positive light on this show, but I have no choice but to.
All right, I'll tell you what. I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I do think it is time for me to get out of here on a weekend. If you are not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe. We're going to have all sorts of live shows, this, that, the other thing, especially with college hoops. I mentioned it a few days ago, but we're probably going to have a lot of these live college hoop shows Tuesday, Wednesday nights reacting to games. So make sure you're subscribed. If you're not subscribed on YouTube, make sure to do so. If you're not following on social media, make sure to do that as well. Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions if you have questions for this show. But now it's time for me to get out of here. I'm working for the weekend, baby. It's about 7 o'clock Eastern time. I'm ready for a cold one. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you f at Unblock Me, bro. If you're watching on YouTube, you missed anything, go back and subscribe. Go back and listen. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify. I'll be back on Monday.